0: Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. One person under the weather can lead to a local disease outbreak, which can lead to an epidemic, which, as we all know too well, can lead to a full-on global pandemic. The world is eagerly awaiting a vaccine that can bring relief from COVID-19. Well, most of us are. The topic of vaccines continues to be mired in controversy. The anti-vax movement is as active as ever and continues to cloud the conversation on vaccine effectiveness and safety. My guest today, Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, is Chief of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford University, where she's also a professor of both pediatrics and health research. She trained in infectious diseases at Stanford University and Johns Hopkins and in epidemiology at the USCDC. On top of her infectious disease work, she serves as Stanford School of Medicine's Senior Associate Dean of Faculty Development and Diversity. Today, we'll be chatting about the massive, yet often invisible benefits that vaccines have brought us, the dangerous consequences of the anti-vax movement, and the huge importance of using credible, science-based resources to make your choices. We have a lot to cover, so let's dig in. Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today about vaccines. It is such an important topic and you have the perfect expertise to speak to this in great detail. Thank you. So I guess a a natural starting point is, you know, why do vaccines exist? What have they done for us already? And what might a vaccine-less world look like? And I I think that's a lot of of people's minds right now, of course.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, we know that 20 years ago, The uh, mortality rate, global mortality rate in children was about 20 million children under the age of five died every single year. And then just to put that in context, there's about 130 million births a year. So um, that's quite a number of children that die before their fifth birthday. And today, uh, the the death rate in children under five is somewhere on the order of uh, about 5 million deaths per year. Uh, under five. So still a large number of children, but it's a three quarters reduction. And most of that has to do with vaccination. Obviously there are other factors as well, but we know that even using the basic, basic vaccines in the, in the global setting, we are seeing 3 billion, um, The 3 million deaths a year averted every single year, just from the current basic vaccines that we use, not even the exciting new vaccines uh, that we have available that can't all be used in the developing world. In the US, we know that for every dollar spent on vaccines, and again, it's not a money proposition, but for every dollar spent on vaccines, we save uh, over $30 in healthcare costs, not to mention costs around deaths and disability due to vaccine preventable diseases.
0: But why then is there resistance? So why is this not something that everyone embraces then given this?
1: Well, I think vaccine, there's maybe a lot of reasons, but I think uh, one of the major reasons in public health, and you can see this playing out right now with the COVID pandemic, is that people don't trust science, they don't trust facts. I don't know if they trust their sources of facts and uh, the question really is um, also around not seeing something makes it not exist. So Mm -hmm. if you have eliminated three quarters of the world's deaths from diseases that we would see every day, every week, and now they're not there, then they must be either gone and never to return or people don't even know about them. And I have to say that in my career, uh, since I graduated from medical school and trained and became a practicing physician and faculty member here at Stanford, uh, I was seeing these diseases every single week. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're gone now. And so mm-hmm. for those younger physicians, for young families, for the public at large, you know, who are younger than me mostly now. Uh, They just don't see these diseases as being important because they don't see them at all. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of a ironic, you know, vicious cycle. They're not seeing them because people are being vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Um, We've only really eradicated one infectious disease in humans one, and that's smallpox. And that was officially declared eradicated in 1979. It's the only human infectious disease that has been eradicated. And it was probably one of the most deadly. Mm -hmm. Um, And one infectious disease eradicated in animals. Um, we could eradicate polio in people uh, in the next few years, we hope, but you know, certainly most diseases cannot be eradicated. Uh, there are some guidelines around how you can eradicate a disease and most diseases won't be eradicated, but they can be treated. Uh, mm-hmm. They can be treated or they can be vaccinated against. And so mm-hmm. as long as we're vaccinating uh we will not see these diseases and people will just forget that there's any efforts going on at all
0: yeah what are some of the ones that have the greatest risk of coming back if we discontinue vaccination or i mean i guess they would all have a risk but what are some of the ones i mean i know there are some stories where this is there's already been where there's been a backing off in some places and then a resurgence so what are some of the sort of lessons learned from backing off
1: Well, I think all of them, as you said, could be risks for returning, but which ones could have the most impact? And Mm -hmm. the ones that have the most impact are fall into generally, I would say, two categories. One would be those that are most infectious because Mm -hmm. they would come back faster and spread through populations faster. But Mm -hmm. some of those may not be uh, as important as others. The other category would be diseases that may or may not be uh may or may not uh be as infectious but may cause uh, serious complications. So for example, I can give you an example of each one. Um mm-hmm. you've heard about measles for example. Yes. And we know that measles is probably one of the most if not the most contagious infectious diseases in the world that we know mm-hmm. of now. Wow. And um it uh it, it basically everybody who uh, was born before vaccination was available, essentially had disease. Now, did everybody die? No, not everybody died, but at the same time, uh, we know that uh, many people did die from measles and many people had complications. And we now know using sophisticated tests, measles infection actually uh, alters our immune system in long-term ways, that is, Mm it. measles act, wild type regular measles disease has been shown to uh uh eliminate immune cells memory immune cells that are important for fighting other disease infectious diseases um over mm. time mm. and uh and so we know that this disease has a lot of downstream negative effects now uh let me give you a different example uh there's a b- bacteria called Haemophilus influenza type b Mm-hmm. Haemophilus influenza type B was probably not, uh, it was very, very common, um, until ni- in the mid to late 1980s, early 1990s, when a really effective vaccine came along and it re- eliminated that the circulation of that ba- bacteria. Now is it gone completely? Probably not because it circulates still. We know we can't eradicate it because it can be circulating in different populations, but. The vaccination has really uh, slowed the spread of, uh, of that virus, that bacteria in children in particular who have the most consequences from it. It's very rare to see any infections from Haemophilus influenza type B. Now this bacteria travel, it lives in the mouth and the nose and the throat, and it can be transmitted in clustered areas around households, uh, in daycare centers and schools. And this disease causes at the very worst about 10 in the U S you know, somewhere around 10,000 or more cases of severe meningitis every year. Now you might argue that 10,000 meningitis is not a huge number, but it is a quite a consequential problem that we no longer really see in the U S and in other countries where, uh, where this, where this vaccine is used, which is almost everywhere. But it also caused, uh skin infections it caused pneumonia it caused uh, ear infections it caused a lot of other problems and why would Mm. you subject a child to those and we virtually do not see this disease more so those are the two kinds of different characteristics of diseases that could come back that makes sense
0: So I wanted to talk a little bit about efficacy, because one of the reasons that people might argue against vaccination is that it's imperfect efficacy. So can you give us a sense of the range of efficacy we see in vaccines and how that sort of influences? I guess I'm actually curious in broad terms about how decisions are made, which vaccines should be mandatory. So how does efficacy play into sort of a prescription for vaccines?
1: Well, they're all over the map, right? Every mm-hmm. disease is different. It's a an objection looking for a cause. Why should I give a vaccine that's not perfect or 100%? Well, how many th- things in this world that are 100% effective? How many?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably none,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I would venture to say, um, except things like if I step into a car, I'm likely to get really hurt. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty close to 100% if, you know, likelihood. But um, the point is that why would you use that argument at all? If I can save a child from, if I have 40% or a 50% or a 70% or 80, 90, 100, whatever the number, you pick the number. If I can gamble on giving my child a safe intervention that will mm-hmm. keep them safe and healthy, why wouldn't I do that? Why mm-hmm. would I not do that? So. That Mm. argument, why would that? Why I don't understand. That argument makes no sense to me.
0: The argument would
1: make sense if you said, "Well, I have a fifty percent chance of having a benefit and a fifty percent chance of having a bad effect." Yes. Okay, that's different, but that is not the case with vaccines.
0: Right. So that's exactly Um, where I wanted to head was into the safety, the real safety profile of vaccines.
1: right. Right. But we need to make that argument right up front make it clear that that is not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, the only time where that might be the case, for example, is treatments for serious diseases, like cancer and other diseases where we know the death rates are going to be very, very high without any intervention. And then I think people's risk tolerance is much higher. So for example, if Mm -hmm. you told somebody that they had a fatal disease, and they if they didn't do anything their death rate would be you know 100 i'm sure the vast majority of people would do something about that Mm -hmm. but so it's all about risk tolerance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i think people just don't see that and again this is about what i said earlier about risk people just don't see that these diseases are a risk to them and maybe not today but in a week or a month or a year they would be a risk if everybody decided to stop vaccinating So let me come back to your uh, second question, which is about efficacy and efficacy varies. It's all over the map. And um, it depends on the way the organism works. And we don't have time in this segment to go through every single vaccine and what the efficacy is. You can look those up, but basically uh, I will say that the drug administration looks at the data, uh, the epidemiology of a disease, that is how common is the disease, how mm-hmm. likely is it to cause serious harm and illness? Mm-hmm. And how likely is a vaccine to prevent or, uh, or uh, mitigate that disease? And I would say, that, and, and then obviously safety is of prime concern, always yeah. a prime concern. So if something is safe and it works reasonably well, the epidemiology of the disease. So for example, with measles, if you uh, get vaccine, you have a 95% chance with one dose of being protected for life against measles, 95%. Now of those 5% who don't have that uh, for the vaccine doesn't work, if you vaccinate them with a second dose, then that number goes up uh, uh, 50%. So now you've got about 98% of the population protected with two doses. So that means only 2% of people out of a hundred, the vaccine would not work. Mm -hmm. And that actually is enough if everyone was vaccinated to prevent outbreaks of measles. Yeah. So you can go to the other end of the spectrum where we see diseases like rotavirus, which is a vaccine uh, for a diarrheal disease that used to be the most common, one of the most common causes of death in children around the world. Um, Diarrhea, diarrhea killed uh, over a million children every year in the developing world. And you might argue, well, we don't care about that here because children don't die from diarrhea in the US, but they get hospitalized for it. So this vaccine actually has very good efficacy on the order of 60 to 80% protection against severe diarrheal disease hmm. or hospitalizations. Hmm. And in the developing world, it doesn't work as well, but it's still better than 50%. Now, mm-hmm. if you can prevent a million deaths a year by or reduce them by 50%, would you do that? Yeah. And the question there is, uh, one of my colleagues said, I, I, you can look at it as a glass half, half empty question or a glass half full. Mm -hmm. But what we like to say is how big is the glass? So if you're preventing half a million deaths a year, right. Instead of 750,000 deaths a year or more, why wouldn't you do that? So, mm-hmm. so there are ranges, and mostly the ranges for the common diseases of childhood. The ranges at the very low end are about 60% for, say, the pertussis vaccine, mm-hmm. all the way up to 95% plus for things like measles and hemophilus, et cetera. hmm
0: Yeah, certainly when you look through a public health lens, it's it's very hard to make an argument. I mean, I can't imagine an, an argument against them. You, you just can't. Um, But of course, the parents are think the parents. Then this sort of comes to a discussion of just again risk tolerance and how we perceive risk and how we think about risk. Um, So can you can you shed some light on this on the safety side of things and what the science actually says?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Before you can give a vaccine, before a vaccine is licensed, it has to be tested in uh, in the laboratory to make sure that the endpoints are being reached in the lab. That is does the effect of the vaccine uh, really uh, make sense in the lab? Can you show that the vaccine prevents either infection or inactivates the organism or prevents the side of the the toxicity of the disease? So for example, with pertussis, the vaccine itself uh, doesn't really kill the bacteria. It actually inactivates toxins that the bacteria elaborates. It's called Bordetella pertussis it inactivates the toxins that cause all of the symptoms that can lead to death and prolonged hospitalization in children. Mm-hmm. Now it's not a great vaccine in way because it only has about 67 to 70% efficacy. And that's because, uh, that bacteria elaborates lots of toxins and there's not one mechanism that in which it works. So you have to attack it from many different ways. And, um, and it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't work perfectly, but it still has reduced, uh, uh, pertussis to very good, high level from very high levels to levels that are uh, actually pretty low. And that, um, really, uh, we need to keep surveillance for that because if we don't continue to vaccinate or cases revaccinate, um, certain populations, uh, you wind up with a resurgence of disease, but that used to be a major cause of death. Young babies and hosp- prolonged hospitalization, and so the safety issue there is really: does this organ does this vaccine work in the tissue in the lab? Does it prevent disease? Does it prevent symptoms? Does it inactivate the organism? How does it work? does it work well in the? And then if you do the preclinical studies and they look safe, uh, then you uh, apply these to healthy individuals, usually healthy adults. And you look for side effects, but the FDA will not approve a vaccine. That is not uh, highly safe in, uh, in people. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, most vaccines do have side effects and the vast majority over 85% or 90% of side effects are, uh, local pain at the site of injection, sometimes redness or swelling and occasionally with some, vaccines there may be a low grade fever associated with that vaccine, uh, for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But the benefits are that you are now protected against a disease that can really be devastating. Uh, everybody wants to do, I, we hope, mostly everybody wants to do what's right for their kids.
0: Yeah.
1: And everybody would like the data. People want to hear data. They want, want to know what friends think. They want to know what uh, people who, who they think. And I think what we face sometimes I mentioned, maybe I mentioned this earlier, not everybody trusts science anymore. And you know, I don't know what to say about that. If you don't trust science and facts, I don't know what else to say. Um, I can give you science and facts and data because they're real, we don't make them up. Um, but there are other people who trust other things in addition to facts and data, and that's trusted people in their communities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What we do is we really try to work with community leaders who people do trust to help them work with their populations and say, look, here's what I think as a trusted community leader. This is what I'm convinced about. And it's really about um, having that two-way communication, having a dialogue. So um, I think that you know, some of us obviously train and do this for a living, But it doesn't mean that I should go out and just say, I think this is good for you. Just do it. That's not the way we try to provide care and pediatricians and people who take care of children don't do that in general. What we do is we try to say, here's a disease here is a way to prevent that disease. Here's a list of potential complications of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Here's a list of all the known complications of this disease. Here's Mm -hmm. what. All of our colleagues recommend, here's what people in the community recommend. Do you have questions? People, Most people will have questions, and that's what they should do. Mm-hmm. And then we answer those questions. And I have to say that the vast majority of the time, that's what it takes, is good communication and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really the way I would frame it, rather than, well, because people will say, well, why should I do this? I get it but they come in and then they ask their questions and then we discuss it. You have a dialogue and people will agree. Mm -hmm. Again, there's always a very, you know, there's, everything has a bell shape. There is going to be a small group of people who are just never going to be convinced. And I see that happening. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's not much we can do, uh, at this point, we would like to be able to have more of a dialogue with that group of people. But some, some people just don't trust, Established institutions. They just don't.
0: Yeah. I mean I guess I was gonna say it's sort of yeah, there's there's the one situation that where you have the patient in front of you and they're and you're presenting them with an you know, the opportunity to make an informed decision. But there's others who are are not even in a care context, right? Like say a COVID vaccine comes out and then people are deciding whether to get it or not. They're not having a discussion with an expert in front of them.
1: I don't think everyone needs to be sitting literally face to face with a mm-hmm expert that's not the whole idea i'm talking as a provider everybody should have some system of health care i don't mm-hmm. think that this society should exist without people every single person in this country having access to a health care and that's the person they should be engaging with and, we said, yeah, and public well, health should be engaging and you know messaging through media all oh, there's lots of ways i mean in this day and age to say that you don't have access to data it just doesn't you know we're just not accessing the right. Pe- if people don't have access to data, it's because we're not accessing their so- sources of communication. Because everybody has access to data nowadays, just about.
0: Yeah. What What would you actually recommend if someone is watching this and says, "I want to go learn more and see some scientific data"? Where How do you Where do you begin?
1: Well, there are some websites. American Academy of It's a nonprofit hmm. private. Uh, organization, it's not driven by funding or it doesn't make money. It represents uh, over 67,000 pediatricians around the country. It is the resource for pediatric uh, information around the world. Most pediatric societies depend on the American Academy of Pediatrics for guidance or, or collaboration. Um, so that web- website is aap.org and you okay. can find lots of information there and the reason I don't bring up all the federal websites is because a lot of people don't trust the government for whatever reason but mm. the government actually is a, a really good source of data because whatever they put in their website is easily vetted and there are references but people want to go to the federal website it's cdc.gov okay And you can look up any vaccine you want there and any, any information about health is on site, but aap.org, the American Academy of Pediatrics has lots and lots of data on not just vaccines, but chronic diseases, uh, uh, teenage issues, school issues, anything you vaping, they talk about every issue may affect children or adolescents. I would at least start there and then you mm-hmm. can start looking for links for other websites as well.
0: We're, we're almost out of out of time here. So is there anything else you would, would want to add in concluding for, again, for those who are looking to make informed choices about vaccines? We,
1: no, I mean, I think a it's lot. the, I, well, I will just summarize by saying that I think that uh, parents are very well-informed. They have access to lots of data, um, more than any other generation to date. And and that data can be confusing because Mm -hmm. it may be, uh, you know, from a reliable source. It may not be from a reliable source. A lot of young parents nowadays rely on their friends and that's great, but their friends should, and they should also, uh, start to really look for data sources that are reliable and in Mm -hmm. general, reliable data comes from independent, uh, scientifically uh, vetted, uh, re- uh, sources such as mm-hmm. the one, the two I mentioned, and there are mm-hmm. many, many, many others. Um, mm-hmm. and so I do encourage people to talk to their healthcare providers. Every child should have a healthcare provider, every single one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage every child to as parents to talk to their providers about this, not only immunizations, but all healthcare issues, mm-hmm. um, around their children. These are the people who, really uh know uh what's they they deal with this day in and day out they know uh what to talk to uh to families and they will they are experts in how to take care of children uh and i and i would hope that everybody has those that that access um and you know social media you know if you feel like you want to get on social media then you message out what you've heard from your provider as well
0: Mm, that's great advice
1: And, and the last thing is not to forget during COVID to really get children vaccinated because we're seeing major outbreaks around the world of measles, uh, 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 diphtheria, which we haven't seen in many, many decades and even um, cholera. And part of it has to do with either vaccination. People aren't going in for vaccinations. Infrastructure is not available in other countries, Uh, but in this country, we're seeing a dramatic decrease in immunizations, mostly because people are afraid to go back and be seen by their providers and so we really encourage wow. people to come back in and get their vaccines because if school is going to start in the fall yeah. that's a good spot to start another outbreak and we don't need more than yeah. one we need zero outbreaks
0: yeah okay well thank you very much for your time dr right. now this has been yeah um, thank you yeah it's been great to to get things really straight from an expert and uh, and get some resources for people who yeah. want to learn more
1: Great. Well, it was great talking
0: to you. Yeah. I'll let you get on to your next call. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Thanks.